0: Father, we thank you for this morning, and God, you have created us to be worshipers. And so, Lord, we come this morning and we say thank you, God. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for walking with us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for giving us the time and the space and the health to be here this morning, Father. God, we're so thankful for all the benefits that have come from your son and what he did on the cross for us. And so, Father, now we look forward to your word, and God, we pray that you would speak to us even again. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome. I know you wouldn't know it, but we had over 130 teenagers in this building this weekend. And... Our sewer backed up from 130 teenagers in this building this weekend. (laughs) Just think about that for a second, maybe not too long. (laughs) But some of our faithful guys, Spencer and Tono, did great work getting us back into order for about six hours yesterday. So let's give those guys a hand. They, they cleaned up a mess that I don't think any of us want to mess with, so anyway, great weekend. You know, sometimes it's good just to worship and you go, I could be done now, I think I've heard from God, but he's got other things to say to us this morning. In fact, Jesus has quite a bit to say to us like he's been the last couple of weeks, so we're looking at Luke 17 this morning if you want to turn in your Bibles, and here these words are going to be addressed mainly to us as disciples, though so a little bit to the Pharisees. And if you remember Luke 16 last week, Jesus was addressing the, the Pharisees and their basically hypocritical lifestyle, their feeling of self-importance, their greed, their lack of regard for the poor. And Jesus taught us last week that actually it's the poor in spirit, the ones that are actually outside the gate that are poor that will inherit the kingdom of God. And so now he turns back to address his disciples and show them that that we have a higher calling on our life. We're not to live like the Pharisees, that we're to walk differently. Instead of being self-righteous and self-important, followers of Jesus are to be humble, knowing that it all depends on God. Where the Pharisees operated out of their own strengths, disciples of Jesus walk in faith, knowing that it's God that's doing the work. Where the Pharisees desired the praise of men, we turn our praises back to God. And followers of Jesus are to get ready for his return. That's what Jesus wants to say to us this morning. So this week, Pastor Kevin and I were talking about this. We were calling it the higher plane of unspectacular Christian living. (laughs) That Jesus calls us to a lot of things that don't look very spectacular, humility, faith, and praise, and yet these are the things he calls us to in the way that he wins the world. So we'll look at this passage, Luke 17, two main sections this morning. First, how to walk as citizens of the kingdom. He's going to tell us about four different ways, things we've got to work on. And then secondly, he's going to tell us to be ready for Christ's return. Okay, so let's look at how to walk as a citizen of the kingdom. So four short parables, Jesus is going to teach us some things. Here's the first one, that kingdom citizens are careful to influence people for Jesus and are quick to forgive. Look at what he says here in verse uh, chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. It says, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. But if he repents, you forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, then you turn to him seven times saying, and he says repent, then you must forgive him. Basically, Jesus, first off here, tells us you want to be an influencer for Jesus. Okay, You want to lead people to Jesus. You want your life to lead them away from sin and to Jesus and not to sin. Jesus tells us the temptation to sin will come and we all know that well, right? I'm sure we've all felt that this week. This world of full is full of things that tempt our heart and mind to find happiness and satisfaction apart from God. In fact, James 1:13 through 15, it tells us that we are tempted not because of those things out there, but actually what's in our heart that drags us away and when, and when those desires give birth to sin, it then leads to death. This is our sin nature, wants us to drag us away from God. but Jesus is telling us as his disciples, you ought not to be the place where temptation comes for other people. It <laughs> says it would be better to have a millstone like we have here on the screen hung around your neck and cast into the sea. That's how serious Jesus takes this. That that would be a better situation than God's judgment for you for leading people astray. This is serious. You know, I can remember in college finding myself... At a party I didn't really care to be at. Participating in activities I knew weren't godly. And this was because my other Christian friends said it was fine. You ever been there? They gave me license to do things God had said and don't do. And tempted me to walk in sin and I gave in because my heart gave into it. Jesus says, this is not what disciples of mine should look like. Don't lead people astray like the Pharisees are doing, is what he's saying. In fact, Luke 17, 3, pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to how you walk. You know, it's popular in our Christian culture to take on our wider American culture of freedom and say, I can do whatever I want. You can't judge my actions. But Jesus is saying, the way you live your life reflects your commitment to Jesus. This is important. Jesus is our Lord. If He's our Lord, then He has a claim on the way we walk, the way we live. Our freedom is limited by Jesus' claim on our life and the ways He's commanded us to live and His concern for His mission to bring others to Himself that's to be worked out through us. And so He says, watch yourselves. Live in ways that promote godliness around us live in ways that, that push people to the gospel be the the fragrance of salvation not the fragrance of death and sin in fact Romans fourteen thirteen says this Paul says decide to never put a stumbling block or an hindrance in the way of any brother and not only do we give up our lives for Jesus but also for those around us the way we live affects our Christian witness to others in the way Jesus is seen by them. So let me ask you this. What type of influencer are you, right? What does the way you live say about what you believe? Are you leading people away from God or to him? You know, we went to this youth conference one time, and the person said, you know, what's on your social media might show you the way people see you. Right? So what's on your Facebook page? What's on your Instagram photos? What did you post in Be Real this morning? <laughs> if you're a youth, you probably posted a picture of you sleeping, right? What does it say about what you think about Jesus? Jesus then goes on to say this, that we should be quick to forgive others. Listen, he says, if you see a brother sin against you, right, you ought to call him out on it. He says, rebuke him. And that in itself in our culture can be hard to call someone out and to receive it. And yet Proverbs tells us it is great wisdom to receive correction from those that we trust. Let's learn to see correction. But it says if the other person repents, you call them out and they say, you know what? I'm really sorry for that. Right? Will you forgive me? Then we ought to be quick To forgive them Jesus says even if this brother or sister sins against you seven times in one day and repents you must forgive them someone said the Jews taught that it was three times a day and that Jesus is upping it to seven here but we know in Matthew 18 Jesus says even if it's 77 times you ought to forgive your brother in other words Jesus is saying as a citizen of the kingdom of God you should always be willing to forgive. Sean picked out this picture for me this week. Right? This is the essence of forgiveness. right? That you would come to somebody and say, you know what, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? In fact, this is what we do to God. Do you want to know how to repent before God? You just come and say, God, I'm sorry. I broke your law. I walked away from you. And God, just like he's instructing us, says, you're forgiven again and again and again. In fact, this is why we can forgive. Because as citizens of the kingdom of God, we know what it means to be forgiven. God has done it to us. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, if you want to be forgiven by God for your sins, then you must forgive other people. Listen, whatever injustice you feel that somebody has inflicted upon you, God has been infinitely more offended by your sins against his holiness. And you know what he does? He forgives us. In fact, Romans 5.8 says this, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is too willing to forgive us when we repent and we are then commanded to turn around and do the same to those that have sinned against us. One of the best verses in the Bible, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, this is an important mark of a believer To be able to forgive others. Because it means you understand the gospel. (laughs) It means you understand that you've been forgiven 77 times a day, an hour, a week, your entire life, tomorrow, the next week. If you come to God and say, I'm sorry, he'll forgive you. And so he says, turn around and do it to those around you. If you're struggling to forgive others, you may not realize how much God has forgiven you. In fact, that's often the pathway to being able to forgive others that hurt us deeply, is to look what God has done for us. Look at the grace God has extended to us. And so, as citizens of the kingdom of God, Jesus is calling us to be a people that practice forgiveness as we have been forgiven. Who is the Holy Spirit prompting you to forgive today? Is it one of your kids? Is it one of your parents' kids? Is it a relative or an in-law? Drives you crazy. Coworker, co-worker, a spouse? Jesus says, forgive them because I've forgiven you. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we influence people towards Jesus and we are willing to forgive. Now look at how the disciples respond to this. This is really funny. We're going to see that kingdom citizens are growing in faith. And here's what it says in verse 5. It says, The apostles said to the Lord after he'd said these things, Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) And The Lord said, If you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. This is a fantastic saying. In response to the call to forgive others and to be good influencers for the gospel, they say, God, increase our faith. We can't do this. This is difficult. (laughs) And these are hard. These are hard things that Jesus is asking us to do. In fact, they're they're meant to be hard. In fact, if you look at the whole Sermon on the Mount, you're to read that and go, that's impossible. (laughs) Because God needs to change your heart and grant you the faith That allows you to do it and that's what the disciples are asking for here citizens of the kingdom of God we need God to do a miraculous work in our hearts to give us faith so that we can do the things that he's asked us to do and grow in them this is not unlike the father in Mark 9 you may remember this story that Jesus wants to heal he wants Jesus to heal his possessed son and in Mark 9 23 and 24 Jesus says, the guy's kind of saying, like, heal him if it's possible, Jesus. And Jesus says, look, all things are possible for the one who believes. And the man responds, I believe, but help my unbelief. Increase my faith, Jesus. Jesus is calling us as kingdom citizens to things that we can't do in our own strength. (laughs) We need more faith that only God can give. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 there tells us that we're saved by grace based on nothing we can do and that our faith is a gift of God. It's a gift. Listen, you can't try harder and find it. That's what the world tells you to do. Find it in yourself, right? Muster it up. You can't do it. You can't white-knuckle forgiveness to other people. doesn't work. You can't defeat sin in your life, right, without strength from God. We need increasing faith that God gives through His Spirit. You know, sometimes I've found it hard to forgive people in my life. Has that ever been you? Anybody found it hard to forgive somebody? (laughs) And I'll pray day after day, Lord, I forgive that person. Help me forgive this person, right? Increase my faith. Change my heart towards them. Lord, help me forgive them. Some of those I've had to pray for days, some for weeks, some for years. (laughs) And yet as we do that, God increases our faith. And Jesus is saying, if you have the faith that my spirit provides, you can do amazing things. Like plant that tree in the ocean. (laughs) And I've seen God's people do amazing things in faith. Guys planting churches where there's never been churches before. Missionaries going around the world doing amazing things for the gospel. People loving the unlovable. Forgiving people that have destroyed their life. Having the chains of addiction broken. Marriages being restored because we believe God can do it. Stopping oppression and injustice because we believe what God has said for his love for the poor and marginalized. One of the best ways we can grow our faith, I think, is to pray, right? We ask God to move, and when he moves, it builds your faith. Next time, you'll, you'll ask for more. You'll believe more that he'll do it. You can guarantee the guy that asked Jesus to heal his son, when he healed him, he had more faith. Tono this week was telling me that they were praying for one new person at Iglesia Risen Life for their service last week, and they got one new person. I said, well, Tony, you should have prayed for more. <laughs> you should pray for three or, or ten, right? But we got to learn. we got to grow in our faith. we got to know that God answers our prayers. I have a pastor friend, he always tells me when he's evaluating two choices, he says, I take the one that takes faith because I want to grow in God. I want to see God move. And so where do you need Jesus to help you increase your faith? Is it, able, is it to be able to forgive that person you've never been able to forgive? Is it to believe that he will take care of you and provide for you? Is it to believe that he can transform your kids? Is it to replace that paralyzing anxiety with peace? Help you break that, that string of depression? Or maybe it's to step out in ministry, what God's calling you to do. Listen, God is calling some of you to step into ministry. We need church planters and more missionaries like we're going to send out soon. And Bible study leaders and others, what's God calling you to step out in faith to do? Let's move the mulberry bush into the (laughs) sea. Right? It's a good example, right, Oliver? We need a growing faith now here's the third thing jesus is going to teach us here he says kingdom citizens serve in humility look at verse 7 here it says well any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field come at once and recline at the table will he not rather say to him prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while i eat and drink and then afterwards, you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have done only what was our duty. Now, this is an interesting story that Jesus is telling us here. but His purpose is he wants us to serve in humility, to, to realize our position before God, that we are in complete need of who God is and we have really nothing to bring to the table right the Pharisees exalted themselves in the tasks that they were doing for God but Jesus reminds us our position is one of humility this parable the master employed the servant to work for him expects him to serve faithfully the, the servant shouldn't expect to just come in and sit at the table as if he's an equal with his Master, but rather to continue to serve, to fulfill his duty, and then he can eat. I often think about this with my kids, right? They they help us clean up around the house and then they say, Okay, now what's our reward? And I say, There is no reward. You get to live here, you get to eat dinner, you get power in the light switch, is water in the sink. That's your reward. Right? That's what Jesus Is saying to us, this is something that I think lots of the young people today, us older folks understand this a little better. Some of the young people today, when you go to your job, your reward is the money they give you on your check. Not any praise, not any thank you, not anything else. They have hired you, they want you to work, and that's what you do, right? And Jesus is likening this to our relationship with him. Romans 6, 15 through 23 tells us that if we have become a follower of Jesus and confessed him as Lord, we have been set free from bondage to sin and unrighteousness, and now we have become slaves, it says, to God and his righteousness. Where our former slavery to sin led to death, now our slavery to God, this humble position, will actually lead to life, is what he's saying. Followers of Jesus, our life is not our own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, you are not your own. Hear this, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We are wholly dependent on God's grace towards us in our salvation. Nothing we could do. There was nothing we could do to earn our salvation. You can't work your way to God. You can't be clean enough. We're in an utterly dependent position. He has now paid your price and you're his. We bring nothing to the bargaining table and expect no reward. And when he saves us, we owe him everything. So how could we serve of any sort of pride? That's what Jesus is getting at. God called us to be humble servants depending on his goodness to us. Now, here's the good part. He doesn't leave us there. Luke 12, 37, here's what he says. Listen to this contrast. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at his table, and he will come and serve them. This is God's amazing grace to us, right? Yes, he purchased us and he has a claim on our lives. But when we serve him in humility, he invites us as friends and sons and daughters and co-heirs to come sit at his table. And he takes off his robe of majesty that he's given to us and he puts on the servant's robe and he says, here's dinner. That's God's grace to us. In fact, that's what Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 11 is all about. It talks about how Jesus left the glories of heaven to come and serve us so that we could be saved. And so we are now to go out like he did and lay our lives down for others. And we do it in humility knowing that God, it's God's goodness to us that we can be in his family. This is the higher plane of unspectacular Christian living. (laughs) And then Jesus teaches us this. I like this one. We were doing this this morning. He's going to teach us that kingdom citizens worship. Look at what he says here in verse 11. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he, he turned back, he was praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his feet, face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. You know, we have this new discipleship wheel that we've been showing you guys now for quite some time. And really on the outside of this wheel, it talks about that a risen life is a life of worship. This is the goal of our Christian sanctification, that we would be worshipers of God. That, that all we do, all of our life, that we would be turning it back to worship of God. That God saved us like he cleansed that leper. We would turn back everything we do to say, God, thank you. I praise you. You are great. That's what God wants of our lives. In fact, worship is our response to who God is and what he's done. And here, only one of the ten lepers healed by Jesus returns to him to give him praise. Good to notice that here Jesus is also the one that receives worship right he doesn't he doesn't stop that because he is God he healed the healed man knows what Jesus has done and he is worshiping him with God's praise and Jesus points out that of of these ten only one came back to say thank you and he's a foreigner Jesus said this is point out that the The Jewish people had rejected Jesus, and yet he was going to do a new work throughout all the world to call all men to himself. And here comes one just like us to worship Jesus. And once again, it's by faith that this man has been made well. This is one of the best things about being a Christian, if you can get this, is worshiping Jesus. We talk about this every week. We love to come on Sunday morning to sing songs and to praise God. It's wonderful. It it enlivens our heart to to praise God for all he's done this week. I I like that song we sung this morning. God, we, we just want to praise you because you've been so faithful. Thank you for all you've done. This is the heart of worship that God wants from us. One of the best things we can do throughout our day in prayer is to give God thanks. You know, sometimes we make fun of of praying at mealtime, but that is meant to be a time where you just give God thanks, not just for the meal, but for whatever has happened between those two meals. Right, and I encourage you, wherever you are during your day, stop and give God thanks. When you see him do something, just say a little prayer, God, thank you. This is what it means to be a worshiper of Jesus. Now, after given some ways to live as a kingdom citizen, Jesus is going to urge us to be ready for his return. And so let's look at what he has to say for us here uh, in chapter 17, verse 20 through 21. Now, Jesus turns back to the Pharisees and he says this. So he says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Okay, good question. He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in the ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Okay, so here the Pharisees are trying to understand when's this kingdom coming, Jesus, that you keep talking about because they'd long awaited the establishment of God's reign on earth, a, a government led by one of David's sons who would, who would throw off the Roman oppressors and all others and he would rule in justice and some of them may also have looked at Jesus' ministry as weak and kind of poking fun at them, like, when's this going to happen, Jesus? Right, where is this thing? But they were thinking of a real and physical government. And Jesus says, it's going to come in ways that you wouldn't think possible, in ways that you might not observe. In fact, they so wanted him to to produce a physical government John 6 chapter 6 verse 14 and 15 says and the people saw the miracles of Jesus what he was doing they wanted to make him king by force they're trying to take him and put a crown on him so that he can rule as as the nations rule as a government and Jesus is telling him look the kingdom is first going to be established in the hearts and minds of people That the kingdom has come through Christ and through the gospel and people that are having their hearts transformed. It's not in ways that you can observe. It's a spiritual kingdom that is being formed. Furthermore, as we begin to celebrate this Easter time, it's coming through a a suffering servant, not a a great and mighty man, but one that's going to come and actually die for his people. Not in ways that you think. He says it's in your midst. We know that when Jesus came he established his kingdom and it began to grow through 12 apostles and has spread to all parts of the earth in ways that we can't observe through hearts and minds. Hearts being given to the gospel. And so the question for us is have you entered the kingdom? (laughs) Have you given your heart to Jesus? This is how the kingdom is established. And it won't be through government It won't be through any other way other than the Holy Spirit changing hearts and minds to be followers of Jesus. And then Jesus says this to his disciples. He's now going to turn back to them and say, we want to be ready for his second coming. Now, we love to get crazy thinking about Jesus coming back, right? The end of the world for good reason. It's a little crazy, a little scary. All of our sci-fi movie and dystopian dreams coming true. You know, back when I was a kid, there was this book, and I meant to bring it today, called The 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Going to Return in 1988. (laughs) And I remember my mom sitting me down saying, Okay, let's be ready, right? This may happen. Don't be scared, right? And then it became 1989. And there was a sequel. 89 Reasons Why Jesus Is Coming Back in 89. And in 1990, we gave up on that, right? So we can get crazy about this, but these are the teachings of Jesus, and we want to hear what he's saying and apply them to our lives. Okay, we know the big contours is what he's telling us here. So listen to what he says here in Luke 17, verses 22. It says, And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. (laughs) Think we desire Jesus' return today? And they will look to will say to you, Look there or look here, do not go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and the lights light up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. There will be eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on his housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who's in the field, not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? he said to them where the corpse is there the vultures will gather that's some strong teaching from jesus we're going to point out a few things one jesus says when he comes it will be obvious okay we long to see his return as a people in fact i hear more and more people can't jesus come back and restore the world we're longing for him to come and jesus tells us there'll be movements and events in history which will rise where people will say that Jesus has returned. You might can think of a few. There have been church movements and cults that have claimed to return Jerusalem to the earth. But Jesus says, don't be thrown off by these things. It's not yet. Stay focused. When I come, it will be obvious, just like lightning across the sky. You'll see it. Everyone will see it. And then he says this, but I first must die on the cross. And think about this. That one's been fulfilled. Okay. Luke 25, first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Here he's speaking to his disciples that before I come back to rule the earth in visible ways first I must go to the cross. We're in this Lent season to begin to look forward to what Jesus did how he suffered and died on the cross. Jesus was saying before the kingdom is physically revealed he had work to do He'd be rejected by his own people and sentenced to death. And the cross has always been plan A for Jesus. This is why he came, to die for me and you. In fact, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that Jesus endured the cross with joy because he knew what he was accomplishing for us. At the cross, our sin debt was given against God, was placed on Jesus, and he died the death that we deserve. At the same time, God took his righteousness and he put it on us and gave it to us as if it was ours. And Jesus sees us now as perfect, holy, cleansed from our sin, no condemnation, nothing that can separate us from God. Jesus said, I have to do this before I come the second time. And he's done that. And our hope of life with God forever as a citizen kingdom came through the cross. Jesus died and was raised to prove that God was pleased with what he did. And Romans 10.9 says we we respond to that by confessing Jesus as Lord with our mouth and believing in in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Jesus has accomplished this part and he's saying I can return anytime so the time is right. We want him to return and this is what Jesus says. I'm going to come when you least expect it, right? Just like the days of Noah and Lot. This is what Jesus was teaching. These are real people, real events in Old Testament history. Just like those days, people were eating and drinking and partying and getting married and planting their spring garden and building new houses. And suddenly, out of nowhere, God's judgment came. Jesus said that's how it's going to be at the end of time. And you can look at history right? Things begin to move, but, t- but history changes in an instant. There was one day when Rome was there, and there's another day where it was completely gone, right? And Jesus says, you're going to be going about your thing, and then here I come. And so it'll be when Jesus returns, we'll be living life, and suddenly he will return to save and judge the world. And the question is, what's he going to find us doing? Are we going to be Ready? Right? Are you ready? If he came this afternoon, are you ready? He comes tonight while you're laying in bed, like he said, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be one of the ones that goes? Or are you going to be stuck laying in bed? And this is what Jesus wants to teach us, to be ready. Now he tells us how to be ready, and band, you can come on up. He says the way to be ready for his return is to lose this life so that you can find true life in him he talks about this man who's on his roof right when Jesus comes back he says he better not run down to get his stuff rather he better be just ready to go what he's saying is are you too attached to this world are the things of life too important to you or are you ready to be with Jesus are you ready to leave it all behind and follow him If you want to preserve your life, then you better lose the one you got. This is actually part of the good practice of Lent now as we give up some things in fasting to look forward to the cross, fill it with godly things. We're practicing this to die to ourselves and live to God. Listen, this has always been the call of the Christian is to come and to die. We are to come and to die, lay our lives at the feet of Jesus That all we are, all that we think brings life, all our hopes and dreams, we bring them to the foot of the cross. We put put it there. He says, come and follow me. And guess what? When you actually follow him, you find that all those things didn't really matter anyway. That actually true life is found in following Christ. He gives us life now and promises it into eternity. You know, we're having these baptisms on March 26, and baptism is meant to symbolize this, that you are laying down your life, all the things of life, and you're picking up new life in Christ. What are the things of the world that you're holding on to this morning? Would Jesus find you ready? Come and lay them at his feet this morning and follow him. Jesus tells us these things so we can be ready. Okay? He wants us to be ready. It's out of God's goodness and graciousness that he teaches us these things. He's warning us of what's coming. He wants us to be ready. We do that by giving him our lives and learning to walk as citizens of the kingdom. We learn to love Jesus more than this world. So this morning, i am invite our prayer team up here. They'll be around the sanctuary. Also, our staff, if you see them in the sanctuary, they'll probably stand up wherever they are. You are free to go and pray with them. But I want to invite you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, that you do it this morning. Be ready, right? Lose your life so that you can find life. Ask Jesus to be your Lord. Maybe this morning you need to forgive somebody as we talked about for the first time. The Holy Spirit's prompting you. Then come kneel, pray, say, God, help me to forgive this person. God, in your spirit, I forgive this person. There's things in life you've been desiring more than Jesus. He says, come and let's repent of those things. Let's let go of those things so that we can then find joy in following him. And as we do that, we turn it all back in worship. So we're going to respond with a song. If you feel the need to go pray with somebody, please do that. If you want to come up here and pray, you're welcome to do that. If you want to give your life to Christ, let us know. You know we've had somebody every week for the past four weeks give their life to Jesus that's amazing if that's you this morning it's time for you to give your life to Jesus too let's sing Father we thank you for this morning thank you for your goodness to us we thank you for even the hard teachings Father Lord help us to give our lives to you so that we will be ready when you come back pray all this in the name of Christ